Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Let's do a podcast. Now I can see it's recording. Let's go. Hello and welcome to In The Pocket, the bass guitar podcast where we get the low down on the low end. My name is Johnny and I'm a totally average bass player and each week, I'm joined by a different co-host to talk all about that bass. Now, the past couple of podcasts, we've had no guests. No one wants to come on in and be my friend. Just me by my lonesome, just talking about bass to no one. Um, but that has changed this week, thank goodness, <laughs> because I am lucky to be joined by the lovely Christian Smith from bands such as Deus Mori and Volne in Manchester. So both uh, both black metal bands. Hit pause, everyone, and go and listen to Christian's bands because uh, they'll bloody knock your socks off. Um, I listened to the sample that you sent me and I was like, okay, I am in for a treat this week because I'm in with somebody who is into heavier music than me. You know, I like to get lots of diversity on this show. Uh, so this is great. Christian actually reached out to me with a topic that I thought would be really interesting to talk about uh, based on uh, his personal experiences. Um, and we'll get on to that later on for the big base debate. But first of all, we need to get to know our guests, don't we? And we like to do that on this show by asking three simple questions. So the first one being, how would you describe your bass playing in three words? Mm-hmm. I'd say pragmatic, technical, and I don't want to say melodic, but I'd probably maybe I'd say colourful, if that makes sense. <laughs> Colour- <laughs> colourful is a much nicer word. I love it. Yeah, I, I kind of wanted to say, it's kind of a bit torn between like practical, but I kind of thought maybe that really makes sense for me. I didn't really think that was the right way. I kind of say pragmatic um probably because it's kind of how i approach bass i'm probably not really saying anything new here but i do play very often a supporting role especially in the two black metal bands i'm in that's what we've really been doing for the past three years um well technically four but three years has been black metal and um very often what you are doing is you're holding down low end to what the guitars are doing so you are following very often you're following root notes you're kind of nah, adding the low they're, ends to... they're following us mate yeah they're following <laughs> us the whole way all guitarists yeah just, we make it up really? and then uh they have to they have to do their thing and just layer on top yeah <laughs> and the real people can hear what's going on underneath i can't hear the bass i don't, don't know what the bass is doing yeah the rhythm section <laughs> the one to carry it yeah absolutely but yeah yeah, so there's a lot of element of, um, there's a big um, part that I'm kind of more serving the song in a way. I don't really have as much room to kind of 
break out as i would say let's say if i was in um like when i was doing rock and old rock um or let's say it's a different genre let's say i was doing jazz or funk for example i don't really have as much room to kind of break out i kind of really have to keep especially with you know metal in general but extreme yeah. metal and the stuff we're it's doing totally down to the genre that is because like with rock you can totally go out on your own line and and i do all the time when like blah, 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 there's a verse and there's just power chords it's the same note i i there's loads of room there for me to be in the pocket and do something really interesting in the pocket can you tell why this show is called in the pocket um amazing cool i like those three and like you say you're technical but you follow uh what everyone else is doing because it serves that song that's what we're here to do thank you so much so for our second question we like to ask what bass? I can see, you know, viewers at home won't be able to see this, but I can see a few guitars hanging on the wall in the background. And uh, I want to know what bass is the number one. The number one, absolutely, hands down, will probably never, ever change, is the Yamaha BV615. Oh, nice. Now, that is a bass that, you know, it's kind of more on the traditional side that people might not necessarily uh, picture it with black metal. So yeah. why the BV? Why does it? Why does it work? Again, it's a, to an extent. It's a little bit accidental. In not maybe not accidental, but it's the gig I've kind of gigged with, gigged with exclusively um, for the last six years. Um, I have other gigs. Maybe kind of my arsenal was chopped and changed. But this has been the most consistent one. Um, it's the first five string I had. Um, I've used it for, like I said, for pretty much every gig I've done in the past six years. Um, and yeah, it's just absolutely fantastic all around it. It's the sound is, it's got a really very versatile sounds. Um, it's active sound was not was fantastic. I've changed the active sound. It's not entirely original Yamaha. There is a dark glass preamp in there. Ah. Yeah, there the, is. Active, <laughs> the active sound though, um, I really enjoy that. Once I heard the active sound compared to like passive, I was like, wow, yeah. this is like, I can't. Yeah, I mean, can I ever really got, go back to the passive sounds after this? When you've got an active bass or one that like has active pickups in it or a preamp, should I say? Um, yeah, and there's a passive switch. Half the time you're thinking, why? Why would I even bother? Like yeah. when these pickups are voiced to have this preamp. Why would I? Why would I have anything else? Mm. That being said, I am a big lover of a passive bass and just having this flat, consistent sound. Um, that then I color things using pedals and things like that around it. That's kind of more my thing. But yeah, when I've got an active bass, I'm very rarely using the passive mode. So I completely, completely understand what you mean by that. Um, how do you find the the neck on the Yamaha? You're playing fast, playing yeah, fast. I love the neck on that. I really, really enjoy the neck. It is a, um, it's either G or C. I think it's more like a C, um, but it gives me a chance to kind of like, I kind of have like the, uh, the U shape in my hands. So up, up the neck is a little bit different because I'm kind of grabbing it with a base, uh, not on my base, with my with my thumb, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. I should say. Um, so yeah, I know I find the neck is um, really, really comfortable to play and I've got a nice, um surface to kind of grab onto 
when I'm doing like my more melodic or my more colourful, I move up and down the fretboards and across the fretboard kind of thing. It's um, no, I really, really enjoy it. It's um, yeah, I, I've. He's a I don't really think I can say. I don't really think I've ever got any real, real complaints about the playability, but actually or the comfort of it. Um, I kind of would like somewhere a bit more comfortable to put my thumb, I suppose, at the back um, when I'm picking because the kind of the curve, it's got a curved pickup at the back where the neck is not very comfortable or stable to put your finger on, but I normally play in the middle anyway. So, mm, so say, like, when I'm picking, I'm, I'm yeah, I'm very much in the middle over that, uh, over that middle pickup as opposed to, like, right by the bridge. Some people are right by the bridge, but um yeah not me and not you by the sounds of it i kind of like a, quite a lot of the string um, i like the grindy sounds of strings slapping against the fretboard especially when it's pick and finger playing I really i just love i really like that aggressive sound and you can't really get that at the back of the neck um it's good if you're kind of doing a lot of different genres obviously if you kind of do something let's say you know blues or funk or something like that. You might want to sometimes go to the back of the neck pickup to get a different sound, have a bit more punch, but the stuff I do, I'll just sit in the middle between the pickups and that's yeah. it's, it's sort of fine. Where the tension of the string is, you know, that's where you're getting the maximum impact to really make those notes sing. Yeah. Uh, amazing. Well, I'm very jealous and I can see it there and it looks very beautiful. Um, if you guys want to go and check it out for yourselves, uh, head over to Christian's Instagram page where you can uh, have a look at it in its full beauty. What, what's your handle on there, mate? Uh, Skogan underscore bassist. There you go. Go and check it out. So our next question, the last question is, uh, why? Why bass? Why did you pick up the bass in the first place? Um, similar story to quite a few of us started on guitar. Um, before I grew up, but Ooh. I kind of always had an interest in bass, though, um, even when I was kind of first getting into guitar, uh, mainly was because of Black Sabbath. It was first guitar was because of Tony Iommi, absolute hero. I love that man so much, but Geezer Butler as well. Um, I was listening to him talking about how he plays bass, how and a lot, I just look, I turn around and geezer, but they were the ones who kind of brought me into it. I wouldn't have probably picked a guitar or bass without either of them. But um, it's like I did start on guitar first, but I always did have quite a big interest in bass and that. Again, like I said, geezer, but to thank for that. So I played guitar for a couple of years, but then I started playing bass. I bought a bass because I kind of wanted to try something different and you know wanted to do i really wanted to i decided i was going to learn the bass intro for nib i swore to myself i'm going to get a bass i'm going to learn that bass solo because that was one of my favorite things of all times listening to the bass solo on that it blew my mind when i was younger um took me best part of 10 years but i can do it now <laughs> it took me a while, yeah, but I, I can, can finally do it now. I could stop playing now. <laughs> yeah, um, even though obviously that's sort of as well as things. It was it looked like so technical and complicated to me when I was first starting out. Then it looked at I realized what how when I realized how blues work and how improvising soloing work, I actually realized it's a lot easier than it realized. It was just you know playing 
he was just improvising basically that's what it was but it took me a long time to really sit down and think right okay i'm gonna nail this note for note it took me a long time to get around to that but finally finally did it so yeah i basically i was started playing at a jam night um near where i lived and i would get on bass every now and again because the room was flooded with guitarists every single night at one point i think there was seven guitarists playing um in one jam oh, no. in this time this time in this tiny room in this uh um... i just see them now just all sl- going back to their amps turning themselves up a little bit or turn the presence and the treble up just a little bit to poke out through the mix and you're like no yeah it was a sight to behold but i remember one time i kind of walked in and thought like well, i might go and play a bit guitar and i just saw all these guitars like you know what i'm just gonna go to the bar get a drink and have a chat with some folk and come back later when they've some of them have disappeared <laughs> but yeah i started playing bass um in these jams when people would kind of bring their own songs they were bringing covers indie folk rock punk metal all sorts and i kind of just thought to myself i really really enjoy doing this that i, I really enjoy doing this I find myself I'm really good at it. I get actually more fulfillment out of doing it mm. than as a guitarist. Um, I really enjoy the supporting role. I really love the fact that I can kind of not not just playing the root notes, I can kind of break I love the feeling of breaking out and doing things different other than just do 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 yeah. do do. But also when you're doing like when you're doing a jam as well. When you feel like you can really gel with other people, yeah, like bass is like the perfect place to do that. Because you're still being melodic, but then you're gelling with the drums and you're working with the guitars. You definitely get that like communal feeling, I suppose. Whereas like yeah. you're not being too showy, you're really doing what works for the for the whole thing. Which you know, it's kind of my vibe. But sorry, I, I totally interrupted you then. No, no, it's fine. Um, I think that's a good point as well. What was great about the gems I think was so formulaic for me is me, well, not formulaic. Um, what really helped me develop as well was the fact that um, I suppose if you, if you went to your band's rehearsal and you just started playing and experimented all kinds of different stuff, you would probably be like, right, okay, stop, we need to get to the song you know you you are there to do a job to do a job effectively but with jam nights and any kind of like jam of any sort like this you can experiment with so many different things you can play basically load of wrong notes and you can learn something from it but you can't do that in your bands practice for example because if you did that you'd probably get kicked out quite quickly or unless you're playing jazz well yeah (laughs) so yeah at that point i picked up bass and never really looked back there was i was playing bass as well in a band and i was i brought my guitar along and the guitarist brought the guitar along and he was much better than me so i i decided to pick up bass and decided to know my place i knew my place after about five minutes um with the guy so yeah um that's when i started playing it more and then that's when i kind of developed into the role of bass player more then i started playing at these jam nights more because you know there was too many guitarists, not really enough bassists. And I kind of, I like the idea as well of, you know what, I can make more of a niche for myself as mm. a bass player. And, and you realised like that it was, it was actually a place to, to rise to, not a place to like below yourself to. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. I'm not going to play the bass. No, you need to be like, yes, I'm going to play the bass. <laughs> 
yeah. yeah, it's you know, it sometimes it's a familiar tale, but it's it's always one that ends up so positive and that people really yeah. find their way and gel with it. So yeah, love it. Thank you so much. So I hope yeah, that's got you know got the audience to know you a little better. Um, so we're just gonna jump straight into it then. Let's hit it off with our first question. This is where the musical interlude will go. Oh. I said um, I'd put one in. That that's it now. <laughs> that is a, that is from the Love Disco it. Godfather as well. So don't get copyrighted. It's fine. Don't make much money off these anyway. It's fine. <laughs> so the first question comes from William Garcia, good friend on Instagram, who has asked, uh, which is more important when you pick up? A new base, the neck radius or the profile. So we spoke a little bit earlier about the neck on that Yamaha behind you, mm. and um, and the and the reason that I actually sold my old BB old, as I had it like earlier this year, um, was was the neck actually. Um, I found myself falling out of love with it because of the uh, the radius on there. Honestly, I felt like it was. Um, it felt a bit too wide and not really just what just didn't really gel with it after uh, over a prolonged period of time. At first, I was like, yeah, this is nice. I was getting on with it. And then I just I think I started playing my Stingray a bit too much. and was like, oh, this is where it's at for me. And then just kind of started resenting it a little bit, if I'm honest. Um, but going back to the question f- for you, what is more important? What do you look for? You know, can you can you put up with say that the radius isn't quite right, but the profile feels nice or vice versa? Um, I think for me, it's definitely neck profile. I'd kind of prioritize. Um, I mean, I've never really paid much attention to radius, um, if I'm honest. Um, So I always felt neck profile kind of makes a lot more sense to me. I I would kind of focus on that. All my bases have... um, have much of kind of do have a C shape um, neck profile because I said I like being able to have a thumb that can fit flat on the back. I can kind of get a really nice grip, really nice feel to it because um, I think if I had like a V shape, something poking out in the middle, that'd get me very, that'd really make me very <laughs> get really angry if I did that, or kind of like poking into my hand. I, I would, I would not enjoy that. Yeah. I mean, as well, I don't really put my thumb over the top of the neck either. I can imagine with the V, you, that would make a bit more sense as well because you're kind of gripping. But I don't really play like that. The only time I ever play like that is if I'm at the very low end of the string near the nuts, um, because that's typically when I'm kind of playing open strings or very low range. And also because I'm thrashing around a lot on the stage. So I kind of need to hold everything stable. He's <laughs> meant to, to grab on to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would really, I would probably, I kind of, that's something a bit too, or kind of, I would kind of just play the bass and see, does it feel right? I wouldn't worry too much about the radius or the profile. I kind of pick it up. I wouldn't let it put me off. I kind of pick it up and think, does this feel right to me? Do I gel with this instrument? 100 um, and that is where um i because i'm not a spec guy i'm not like right i'm mm. going to build my custom base it's going to be this this is the radius this is going to be over you know like, i i don't 
<laughs> Sorry to anyone that's like that. That wasn't my impression of you. Yeah. <laughs> it's <offended laughs> everyone. Um, I mean that I'm very much that the same. And I don't have a preferred neck type for ge in general. It has to suit the base and mm. what that base is providing. I've got short scale on the wall behind me. I don't want that to be the same neck profile as my um, my jazz base. You know, I want it to feel differently. I want because I want each of those bases to play differently and inspire me mm. to play differently. That's the point in having different bases for me anyway. You know, some people out there will have like three jazz bases and they're all the same. And that's great, you know, fine. But for me, I like to have each one has a bit of a different role. Um, as, and that's why I I feel like I have to justify owning them, basically. Um, so I like them to have a role and to, to feel different. Um, so I don't have a necessary preferred, yeah, it's got to be this, got to be this, got to be this. That being said, in terms of like profile, I definitely do gravitate towards your kind of modern C mm. and that kind of shape. Um, I had the Ibanez Talman TMB 100 and it felt more like a D shape. So it was like, I mean, you can imagine like a C, and a D. Yeah. It just felt fatter, um, but still had this quite a slenderish radius, but it was definitely weird at first. So I noticed it straight away. I did get used to it after a while, but it's it's not a, a net profile that I would prefer to have uh, for my full time base, you know. So I think um, like a like a C shape is what I would go for, for profile and radius. Um, I think I I you know I used to think like yep yeah, the the smaller the better. And that's what I tell everyone, you know. Uh, so it's all smaller the better. Um, but I now, if I w I've got a P base, I'll kind of want one with a slightly bigger radius because I want it to be a bit more limiting. Because I think that's where P bases sound good is mm -hmm. when things are almost they're more simple and the the things you play mm -hmm. are a bit more aggressive. Or for me, in the genre that I kind of gel towards, uh, I don't know what it is about a P base. That that's just what. Uh, works for me and that's what I want I don't want a really slim neck on a p-base um, basically this I've got I've gone, I'm dancing around this question what's more important to me I think probably radius I think I profile I can get used to like I did on that mm. I do have ones that I prefer but if I had to be like yeah you've got the perfect profile or the perfect radius probably gonna go with radius because if, if the radius if it's too big but the size is fine like my jackson i had was a very slim profile but it was, it was a massive five string neck and it was still nice and comfy and playable and um, that neck was really nice actually thinking about it now i'm regretting selling the base great thanks um but yeah, yeah i kind of thinking about bases i've had in the past and applying it to this question yeah, I said that I can't. I said I kind of never really um, even said thought much about um, radiusing before. Looked at the question. I wasn't really. Um, I said normally I kind of. I wouldn't say I'm a specs guy, but I definitely try and lean towards the more practical side of specifications, like making sure it's comfortable to play, making sure it's easy to play. Not yeah. as in as in you, you don't really want to put like unnecessary or arbitrary barriers in front of yourself. You want a base that is ergonomic and healthy to play that's the most important thing and i think yeah. an element of that will be you just got to pick it up and play i don't want, so maybe i don't want to kind of dismiss the question maybe i'd say 
is this the right question to ask? I would say maybe where you kind of have to pick up the base. Um, and as long as you got, you know, good posture and good technique, um, as long well, technique that is, you know, um, I say in this case ergonomic, you know, not something that's going to be problematic for yourself, making life more difficult for yourself unnecessarily. You kind of have to just pick it up and play it. That's kind of what would kind of be a little bit more important to me. Um, yeah, it's, it's never say. like, I never go to, like I said, about think about the figures or, or mm. love and specific. I'm always like, pick it up, play it. Does it feel right? Okay, why doesn't this feel right? Uh, okay, you know, I'm never, I'm always putting the feel first over anything mm. else. And I say that in all, all the videos I do, like the, the sounds I can work easier to improve. Um, the feel is the most important. Yeah. Uh, and that's from a... Um, playability wise and all the practical reasons but also from like an emotional reason because if i'm not enjoying playing this i'm not going to sound good playing it and i'm not going to want to play it so what's the point you know yeah you shouldn't um one thing i would say is um you should never like you shouldn't be uncomfortable playing your instrument you know if someone said you know this is the easy spec to play and you're given it and you hate playing it what's the point you know we, we do this because we love what we do we feel good about it if you don't feel good about it what's the point of giving ourselves instruments or gear that we hate or we don't like you know we should have that um you know that feel that that feel that intuitive connection to the instrument so that because otherwise if we didn't like it what would be the point of picking it up exactly I in the like stuff that I review, I mostly try and get stuff that actually I just like or like that I think I'm gonna like. Not because I just always want to make good like positive reviews. I I, I like I, I like giving a bad one. Like, I, but it oh, I like it because it surprises me because I'm like oh I've got something to say about this, you know. Um, but yeah, I always want to like something, of course. And the most of the stuff that I buy is because I think I'm gonna like it. I think this is gonna be a keeper, and if not, I'll sell it. It's fine. Um, yeah, very drawn out answer to this, <laughs> to this question. But, you know, food for thought for lots of people out there, I'm sure. And thank you so much, Bill, uh, for the question. Let's move on to the news. Okay, this week's news. So the first bit comes in with some new gear, which was launched on the 19th of November. So what's that, like last week sometime um, by the time we're recording this? Um, so Justin Chancellor has got a signature fuzz and wire pedal from Dunlop. Now, Justin is the bass player of Tool, uh, which has a very distinct bass sound and the overall sound of Tool. Um, this pedal... I've actually only heard it uh, within the promo video which they put out, which I, I'm going to tell you to pause this podcast throughout this podcast. Go and, go and find uh, Dunlop's YouTube channel or, or Instagram page and go and look at this advert for this pedal because it's incredible. <laughs> Makes me yeah, want to buy it. That, it's uh, that, advert, that advert was absolutely brilliant. And the, the trailer, <laughs> the trailer at the end, the ending of it as well. Everything about that, everything <laughs> yeah. about that advert was brilliant. There's like a minute it. of credits afterwards of like disclaimers of like things it's going to do for you. And guys, it's it's only three hundred pounds, but it will give you an erection that lasts for more than four hours. So you know, it's <laughs> it's worth it apparently. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, yeah, I was I was a big fan of uh, of this that was in there. Um, so what does this pedal do? It's it's fuzz and wah basically. So it's wah pedal with a fuzz built in. So we've got two different wah voicings in there, um, and then this UK gritty sounding traditional fuzz, which uh, Justin's quite well known for. Um, are you much of a Tool fan? Um, yeah, I'd say I've not really listened to um, them heavily, but mm. I kind of am, you know, I loved um, 10,000 Days. I really enjoyed, um, I remember the bass lesson I was shown to play, 46 and 2. I really liked, um, yeah, I kind of like you know, the mid-noughties stuff. I really liked that sound. I really liked the, the music. I really enjoyed it. I didn't really enjoy um, your album, though. Um, I have to say, wasn't a fan. Mm. um wasn't worth it wasn't wasn't worth the wait unfortunately but like i said um um you know Ten Thousand days for example absolutely stunning album um yeah. i you know iconic bass work on that album i'd say yeah and that's you know when you know a band is so well known and known for their bass playing as mm. well you know that's i know i'm biased because i'm a bass player but i don't i I'm not a big tool guy. I don't know lots about the bands and I don't listen to them that much. Um, but I have heard of them. I have heard them. And I do straight away, I recognize that bass sound. And I know of the band because of the bass playing, you know, mm. and, and that says something, you know. So for Dunlop to be backing him in this way is is incredible. Um, and yeah, Fuzz and Moi together, I think, is amazing i really yeah. really like um combining modulation effects with like distortions at the minute um so i always used to run chorus and distortion but the minute my go-to is a phaser and distortion so uh, i want i want to hear this pedal and uh i want i'd love to do some experimenting the, the expression pedal on there you're going to have so much fun uh, with this thing and you yeah. can have them all separate as well you can have it just the fuzz just the wah or mix them together so and there's an independent like i watched your review it was by i was on base the world it's by a guy called jamie and i completely forgot the last name but it's on base the world and he did a review of it there's also like an independent switch you can put on it as well where it will engage um i have to remember this basically you can kind of run any combination of wah and fuzz and so you can yeah for the independent ones remember you engage the wah and the fuzz when you disengage it it goes back to oh, i can't remember there's that in the, i can't i just can't remember the, the logic of it now i have to kind of write it down it's one of those things i think you'd have to kind of pick it up and experiment with it because um, he said you have got a lot of different kind of combinations. It's not mm. just a standard wire paper where very often it's just kind of press it down, wah, 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 press it down, off, back to bypass. There's a lot more going on um, to it, which I think is really cool. I like the fact that you've got all these different options. You're not limited to one box. It's like, right, press it, fuzz and wah, and then off, bypass. There's a lot, lot more going on to it than that, which I really, really like. That's I think that's brilliant. Because there's going to be loads of different ways that people will use that pedal, isn't there? There's going to be just people that want it to be on and off, or people that are going to want to use that expression pedal more freely. Uh, so, yeah. Cool. It's a cool pedal, and I want to hear more of it. 
Um, so Dunlop, if you're listening, uh, you're not, but if you are, you know, it's Christmas. <laughs> Send it my way. Come on, let's do this. Okay, let's move on to the next bit of news, which is quite an exciting one. And I love this time of year getting towards the big C Christmas. Um, because we start getting all these lists coming out of the best gear of 2021 and the top bases and pedals and all this stuff. And it makes me very excited. Um, and then it makes me realize of how little I've actually uh, played of the gear that's come out this year. Um, wow, that rhymed. Incredible. So I noticed that Reverb have put up a list of the top-selling items, and they've done a list for bass as well. So they've done the top-selling bases of 2021. So this, you know, this isn't really news as such. I suppose it is because they've released an article on it, but. I thought it'd just be interesting to take a look at this top 20 that we've got here um, and, yeah, just run through them. So I'm going to quickly run through them all and then we'll, we'll, we'll have a chat. So starting at number 20, we've got the Epiphone Thunderbird 4, Squire Classic Vibe 60s Jazz Bass, Fender Standard Jazz Bass 1991 to 2008. Ibanez TMB 100, Squire Affinity Bronco joint with the classic vibe 70s jazz bass, Fender Offset Series Mustang PJ, Fender JB62 jazz bass reissue made in Japan, Gretsch Junior Jet 2, Rickenbacker 4003S, Hofner Ignition Pro violin bass, Fender Precision Bass, 1970 to 1983. Squire Affinity Jazz Bass. Fender American Professional 2 Precision Bass. Ibanez SR300. 300? Yes, 300E. Squire Classic Vibe Bass 6. And then we're in the top five now. So number five is the Rickenbacker 4003. Ibanez GSRM20. Fender Player Series Jazz Bass, Squire Affinity Precision Bass PJ, and the, the, the top spot is the Fender Player Series Precision Bass. Whoa! Big old long list on there, and lots... A lot of Fender. That is a lot of Fender. A lot of Fender so on much, Which, you know... So much Fender. <laughs> isn't surprising, really. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, lots of Squire as well, which, you know, is obviously under the Fender umbrella. Yeah. But, um, yeah, really interesting. I love seeing this, just to see what the trends are like this year and what's going on. Um, nothing really that's too wild. I will say that I was surprised how high up. Number six is the... Um, the Squire Base 6. Um, now, I imagine that's a lot of guitarists buying that Base 6 as well, because yeah. I feel like the use of the Base 6 isn't really in bass players' realm anymore. It's more people wanting to, to be a bit grungier uh, and have that full, that guitar that's a full octave lower to give them this whole different uh, different sound. I know when I had a Base 6, that's how I preferred to play it. It's more like a guitar. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I saw one um, years ago in a um, Denmark Street in London. I saw one of them, and it was just like, like the coolest thing ever. I just thought I could make so many sounds with that. Um, yeah. Nowadays, I, if I looked at it again, I kind of think it'd be a nice novelty, but I don't think for me 
I, I don't think I'd kind of use it as a serious, at least not for the kind of things I approach in my approach to base playing now, but I can imagine yeah. if you put some, a lot of distortion modulation on that, you get some very, very interesting sounds. Oh, it, they're so it. gnarly. You can, they're surprisingly like diverse into what kind of things you can get out of it. But like, mm. I'd just always be going back to the heaviest distortion I've got and just playing that open note. Like, oh, oh my God, it's so good. Um, I had the Schecter Hellcat. Um, and yeah, there was a humbuckers that could split and it was, it was awesome. But I did the same thing. I bought it because I was like, I w- number one, I want to review this. Number two, I just really want to play this and see what fun mm. stuff I can write with it. But then that same thing happened where I just wasn't using it. And like, I, I always buy guitars thinking, right, this is going to inspire something amazing. And then like, I'm like, ah, oh, I didn't really gel with it that much. So, um, and a lot of my creativity kind of comes from that as well. Uh, so, yeah. But that's not what we're talking about. Um, yeah, the, I saw the Gretsch on there, which was talked about a little bit earlier at number 13. Really popular um, short-scale bass. I'm surprised mm. there aren't loads more short-scales in here. There's only the um, the Mustang uh, offset uh, Fender, which, you know, yeah, is really, really popular. But short-scales have been quite fashionable recently so i'm surprised like even the squire one isn't even in here the both the jazz bass and the uh um oh no they're just both jazz basses uh, are in there as well but uh from the classic vibe range but interestingly number two squire affinity precision pj i'd PJ. love to know if that was the the 2021 version or if it's just kind of the older one as well. I I know they've probably sold really well, those new ones, but I can't imagine they would have sold so well that they are the second most bought thing on Reverb. Mm. Um, I don't know. I might be wrong, but it doesn't specify the year, whereas some of the others do. So maybe it's just kind of all-encompassing. Yeah. All that matters to me, though, it's got PJ. That is the best combination. I absolutely adore that combo. Yeah. PJ. It's, it's cracking. It's, I don't think I ever... I don't think I want there to be a time where there isn't a PJ in my collection, just mm. because when it, and I feel like PJ comes into fruition most in a band situation and when you're playing. So I, I turned up with my GNL SV2, which is a PJ, uh, to a band practice the other day, and I was pretty set on just using the P pickup. I was like, how I'd been using it at home, really like that mid rangey growl. I'm a P bass guy, mm. love it. Um, and then when I was at practice, I was like, oh, I feel like a bit neat. I want a little bit more punch. I was messing around with some settings. I thought, oh, maybe we'll just dial in the bridge pickup. That was it. That's all I needed. You know, it gives it this bit of crispness that's on there. And a lot of these are actually PJ bases that have sold really well. So it's no mystery that uh, it's a great pickup configuration. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, nothing else I think really is too surprising on this list. There's a huge range of price ranges on here, um, you know, from bases that probably cost closer to two grand to some that cost barely two hundred pounds. So yeah, really diverse list uh, and interesting. You know, let me know in a comment down below if you are one of these people that has contributed to this list with a, a purchase because i bet there are some of you out there that that have done exactly that i've i've owned a couple of these this year uh and i've still got one of them 
So, yeah. Thanks, Reverb, for, for letting us know and uh, seeing what's trendy, because it's always interesting stuff. Lovely job. Um, cool. So, let us now move on to our second question. Musical interlude. Ba -dum -bam. Nice. So, question two uh, comes in and says, "Oh my God, I've I've lost the I've deleted the name that said it. Hang on, I can't not do this person justice. Can't not read the name out. Come on, Johnny. Here we go. There it is. Um, okay. So this next question comes from username Bert Allen Peter on Instagram, who has asked." Uh, how much music theory do you actually know? How did you learn it? And how important is it for a rock bassist? Now, a rock bassist is what I consider myself, uh, someone who's primarily playing with a pick and is playing, like we said earlier, kind of su a supporting role mm. um, in supporting the other members in the band. And, you know... Is that to say that we take a back seat in the music theory and that we don't contribute, or is that, or is that even necessary? You know, there will be this will divide people massively, um, and I I sit firmly on one side of the fence. Christian, let's start with you. What do you know music theory and how important do you think it is? Yeah, I do know music theory. I mean, I kind of only know. I suppose that if you kind of look at all music theory, we can kind of, I, I only know like a small spectrum of on a little bit, so then you can kind of get from like the really basic stuff to these super obscure, like the really obscure, super big brain level. And you kind of go into micro details and stuff and you can kind of get a little bit kind of, there's so many layers of abstraction you can get to sometimes as well. It's not really, um, it doesn't really become applicable. It's, it's interesting. It's not something that should be ignored, but, in terms of it, it can get a little bit crazy um but i you know i would say know a decent amount of theory um in the rock context i would say theory does make i would say theory definitely definitely helps um just to clarify with the question was to say is it is a question saying do you need theory uh well it's it's the, the question is, how much music theory do you know? How did you learn it? And how important is it for a rock bassist? Oh, so okay. So how important it is. Right. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so, so I, so I say no, kind of, anyway, a decent amount. Um, how I learned it initially, I actually played piano for many, many years, best part of 10 years. Um, I did not end up... Um, I didn't progress very far in those 10 years, unfortunately. One of my biggest regrets, I wasn't a very good learner or musician at the time. It's only really um, when I was 18 that everything kind of started to really take off. Um, but I kind of, that's when I learned my basics, you know, I learned, you know, my A, B, a to G, um, basic timings, how to read sheet music. I but learned my very... A to Z then. <laughs> a to Z. Z. You wouldn't know unless you know real music theory. <laughs> <laughs> the Z note. <laughs> oh, that's a spicy, spicy note, my friend. Um, but yeah, the A, the A to G, well, A to G sharp, uh, 
um, as you say, on a music theory. But that was very, very basic. Um, I never really got past, you know, major and minor. Um, how I learned it was I started, um, really, I just went on. Partly it was from my look, go to music teachers. Um, I actually kind of have a dedicated bass and guitar teacher because I was being taught um, you know, rock skills. I was kind of taught how to kind of break out of just doing the um, copying the root notes. So, like, you know, exams, for example, you'd have sections where you'd have to, like, do your own bass line or do a solo of some sort. So I was taught, okay, this is how you, um, these are your shapes, these are your scales, these are your arpeggios, this is how you do, um, this is how you write your own section. So I kind of started doing my own research. It really interested me, and I kind of want to learn about new ways of doing things, new ideas, new, um, I, new, um, new ways of doing things, effectively expanding my arsenal. Um, learning about modes really interested me because I really, really, really knew major minor when I was doing music and I heard about mixing Lydian and Lydian and Phrygian. I was just like, oh my God, there's, a, like, there's so many new ways of doing things. I was really fascinated by it. And then I started getting sucked into more and more and more of it. And a lot of it, like I said, I kind of just did it off my own back um, with support from teachers. Um, and then coming on to like, do you need it as a rock bassist? I would, I know there's a lot of people who will say, I would kind of say to people, you know, um, you know, I like theory. I'll start, you know, talking about sometimes, well, I say I'll talk, sometimes I can get a little bit, um, overexcited and I'll start going to really find details. I start talking about <laughs> interviews, major, minor, seven chords, frigid modes and people, all that. And often the kind of stop response to that might be like, you know, I don't use theory, I just play with feel. Um, and with rock, though, that is perfectly fine, though. You know, it's perfectly fine to just do by themes and using your ears. At the end of the day, you have to play what is good. You can't... Um, I'll expand on this, but, you know, it's... You can't play everything into... You can't... If, let's say, you're playing in E minor, for example, and you've got to play notes around the C, you don't just have to play in C mixolydian. You don't have to just play in E minor. You, you, you know, you might put some notes in there that say a C sharp and it feels good, even though it shouldn't work. It shouldn't mm. work in E minor. It doesn't matter. What matters is, does it sound good? And that's why I think a lot of people can just kind of think, okay, why do we need theory then if I can just yeah. use my ears? But with theory, it allows you to look at music in a way you wouldn't normally because you can be a good musician by just you know and a good songwriter uh, particularly if you're just doing everything by feel and by ear and also especially you know from the heart as well especially with something like say you know rock and roll where everything kind of inter you you're making your own music um and that's obviously a beautiful thing but if you want to try doing things in a way you might not otherwise do when you apply theory, if let's say you looked into say, okay, rather than just playing in E minor, what about you? Ch say your rock band, for example, rather than just doing everything in E minor, for example, why not try Phrygian? Why not make yourself play along that scale? And you might generate a sound you might not have otherwise generated. Just yeah, it, it sounds like the way that you know where you're explaining it really well. Um, sounds like it, it can be used as a tool to unlock ideas that you might not necessarily yeah. think about because you you hadn't put the thought into that before. You know, I said before I sit very firmly on one side of the fence, and that is because I, I don't 
really know music theory. Mm. Don't get me wrong. I got an A at GCSE. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's it's gone out of my head now. You know, it's gone. Yeah. Um, and I was very much, I, I know A to G, like you said. And but if somebody's like, right, can you play an A? I, obviously, I know that's a very simple one. But, um, yeah. you know, I, I better be like, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, I can. Hang on. Okay, there it is. You know, I don't know it instantly. Yes, that's it. And all of these types of things. And the same with um, chords and progressions and things like that. I'm very much playing on feel and yeah. and sound. And like you said, a lot of people that have written lots of songs in the past, especially as well, probably have written them without knowing that it's this scale or that's this. Like if you ask them, they'd probably be like, no, I just played it because I thought it sounded good. But there's a difference between doing that and then understanding the underpinning underpinning knowledge as to why that sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> it's it very also, different approaches, which both have yeah. pros and cons, I think, because you can't, you know, if you're going to approach it from the aspect of, you know, I'm only going to do it from theory, then you might lose some of that feel or like say that the heart that goes into it, but then also it can act as a set of rules that you can be too rigid towards and, uh, and it's made to be broken, you know, and this, it goes both ways, I think. Yeah. Um, it, and the example I'd say, you know, breaking rules, for example, I'd say, you know, is um, Bark, for, I'll use, I'll use an example, you know, he broke so many rules um, in his later years of composing, but he wrote incredible music, like the prelude to the Happy Cavalier, for example, um, starts in C major, but there's so many like notes that should not work in there but they get worked into it but it's a beautiful piece of music to an extent sometimes actually if you want to break rules learn the theory is great because then you can actually more readily break the rules when you need to mm. it could almost think, speed up processes yeah they? it also it um once you kind of know especially if you kind of apply it to the fretboard as well the way you visually start looking at the fretboard changes the kind of like you you can also start to find like, kind of if you know what a minor third is, you can find many different ways of playing that minor third, and that can lead you again down <coughs> paths that you wouldn't normally do so. Um, and I think another thing that needs as well is that there's um, another huge advantage of theory is that it's a common language that we all have. So the analogy I would use in this case, for example, is that I'm a Norwegian speaker, um, for example, and I can get along speaking Norwegian to Swedish speakers. There's we can get along, but it's it's not difficult. There's things you might understand. We have to clarify things. It's, it gets very tricky and problematic. But if we use English, say as a lingua franca, we can all understand each other much more easily because we've got a shared language now. Um, that might be a little bit convoluted, but that's kind of my way of explaining it. And yeah, say you're in a band, for example, and you're a rock bassist, and you. You might go join a band, you might get an opportunity to play with a band who give you a load of sheet music and say, right, learn this. Or they might start talking <laughs> to you like in very that. theoretical <laughs> terms. Sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> but then that's the thing, though. It's like you, um, you, it gives you a way of working with different musicians. There might be people who work, when you have a shared language, mm. it speeds up the process massively, especially, I think, I think we're all the bands, I think, definitely, who say, um songwriting for example you know knowing what a bar is for example or a triplet or a gallop or a herter it like you can say that to someone rather than saying okay the if i said to you the fast bit 
well, yeah. in, in Blackmail, for example. There, there's lots of fast bits in songs that aren't, you know, we do trem- there's a lot of tremolo playing in Blackmail, for example. If I told you, oh yeah, the fast bit, it's like, well, there's fast bits in Blackmail songs that are done in eighth notes, or, mm. you know, that doesn't mean it's fast. But if I say tremolo, that means you're referring to very fast, very fast, rapidly picked sections. Even like basic things like um, me and my partner, you know, we're both into music. She's not a musician. I am. And so there are, I find there's parts that I'll say about something that even with my limited uh, knowledge, you know, I've been in bands and in recording situations long enough to to know um, more about um, theory from a practical point of view. And like you say, like being able to communicate with each other in that way does break down a barrier and helps us to get to the solution quicker. Yeah. Because we've, we've got our own language to talk about it. And that's why I talk to her about some things and she's like, what, what, what's that? I don't know, what, what do you mean a triplet and a gallop? And I'm like, oh, you know, cause it's going like this. And, uh, and so, yeah, I, I totally uh, see the benefits in that regard. Yeah, it's. Um, I will say, so to, I, you know, I love theory, I love all that kind of stuff, but I will say, uh, I, I also have like a uh, recording project, which is a Paula Grind project, and I don't use any theory in that. I just get a guitar, drop tune it, and just play disgusting, horrible, awful noise. That sounds like every recording I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, my, what, I, no what I record this are crimes against music. Um, <laughs> but it is sometimes fun, like so I have to, I'm thinking very theoretical terms in both my bands, even though I sometimes do play by ear. It is fun sometimes to actually just, you know, abandon the whole technical, clever, all oh, major minor seventh um, route and just play horrible noises. <laughs> <It's>, uh... <laughs> yeah. And I think so, yeah, that's a good point, though, because I think it all comes down to enjoyment and what actually you're doing it for or what you find yeah. interesting. Because, like, for you, you say you find it really interesting. You love you loved researching it when you're being taught. Um, whereas I'm... And, you know, that's fantastic because you're passionate about it and you want to learn more and better yourself through all of that. For mm. me, I'm completely, I'm all self-taught and and so I don't really have that underpinning knowledge. Mm. And so now for me to go and like learn it, it's a big slog and I feel myself losing that enjoyment and that passion mm. uh, through learning that side of it. So ultimately, I don't think there's a right and a wrong answer to this question. Um, I just thought it was really interesting to talk about, especially yeah. in the terms of rock as well, because um, yeah, you know, and it depends on everyone's different on how they write and how they approach music and what kick they get out of it. Yeah, if I'm sat there doing a load of theory, for me personally, it's going to put me down. I'm going to want to play less, mm. and that's me stuck in me old ways, you know. And which sounds like the opposite because I'm saying. I don't do theory. Yeah, but... I would say the the main advice I would I would say I'd give on this though, I came for both for the theory nuts and for the people who aren't theory minded. I would say is that you know if you are theory minded, don't think put don't think less of people just because they don't know it, because um, that's going to be very destructive, um, and it's, it's just not a nice way of kind of looking at you know people mm. you play, or even just other people um you know there's no need to look down on people just because they don't know it but on the other side i would say don't be if you don't know things if you struggle if you don't like theory you struggle you don't know much that's perfectly fine but i would say don't make 
a glory out of ignorance you know don't be like i don't use theory because i'm a proper i'm a i'm a good rock and roll musician because i play from the heart and i don't do theory that's yeah. a really unhealthy way of approaching any any kind of learning as well you know as a musician you have to open yourself up to all kinds of different sounds genres styles ways of approaching things you should try and ex- the more you expose yourself to you the better you'll be you'll be there's no value in glorifying yeah ignorance. i think there's a difference between glorifying ignorance and being content like you said like mm. if you're perfectly happy with the way that you are then that's fine but you don't need to poo poo someone else's enjoyment out of it or or the way that they think about it because it's going to work differently for different people and people will argue until the end of time about topics like this about what is right and what is wrong At the end of the day there is no right and wrong because that's the beauty of music and you know mm. we're getting wider and uh heartfelt about this that's what it all comes down to and we all need to pick each other up and help each other if we want to learn from each other or if we don't you know that's also fine i think that people just need to get along when it comes to this kind of stuff but you mm-hmm. make absolute uh sense and massively valid points in there uh, and it's even broadened my horizons a bit. So uh, that's why I love doing this stuff, because I learn more. And that's why I'm doing it all, really, to be honest. So I just for <laughs> selfish benefit, you know. <laughs> OK, speaking of selfish benefit, I'm going to listen to some beautiful bass tones now as we move into our next segment called That Tone You Own. <laughs> Stop singing licensed music, damn it. Seriously, you, you have to listen to that track, The Disco Godfather, the 11-minute version. It hits differently. It's so, 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 so good, honestly. Well, I've got my evening sorted after this now, so thank you Excellent. so much. So each week, when I've got a guest on here, or whether I haven't, um, I like to bring along a tone. So this week, we've got Christian as our guest, so he is given me a tone that he considers his signature sound or one that he's just enjoying at the moment uh and we take a listen to it break it down talk about what the gear elements went into it what part of the song it serves and all of this malarkey let's stop talking right now and have a listen to it So as you can hear from that, that is, number one, some fast playing, some very precise playing. And I can hear, you know, with my musical bass player brain, um, big brain, a.k.a., uh, that I can hear certain elements of what I suspect is going on within there. And I love when I can hear that about a bass line where I'm like, oh, now I can tell, like, sounds like it's being played with fingers. And it sounds like, uh, obviously, there's distortion on there. And I can tell that, you know, I love love breaking things like that. Yeah. I feel so proud of myself when I can hear that. Um, so there's a lot of that with this line. Um, well, first, I'm going to say um, is a prediction that I, I have about this, and that is about what you're doing about compression. Because I'm curious, is there is there much compression on it? Or there is some compression. Yeah, I confess I'm not. I bought a compressor this year. Um, I didn't have much of a chance to experiment with it. 
um, because of personal circumstances, which we'll come on to later. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've got a Taurus Tux um, compressor, the uh, Doctor Compressor M Mark II. Uh, compressing of that out of eight, we've got five. Don't know why it's eight out of ten. That'd be a bit. Ten would be a lot easier to work with. It's kind of um, yeah, five out of eight. Um, punch. We've got. Uh, okay, now we haven't got any numbers in the bottom one. I've just realised we've got numbers in the top two dials and um, no numbers in the bottom two dials. Um, hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, level set to uh, six out of eight. Compression set to five out of eight. Um, range is I'd estimate about forty percent. Um, punch as well and it has got a character um, tube setting on it but yeah we have got a bit of compression going on there um, which is something I started using more recently particularly for bass lines like this with now with my fingers started playing one thing I noticed straight away about that tone I was like wow that is consistent sounding but I bet actually that compressor is just elevating it a little bit because it sounds like you have a very consistent uh finger playing style uh and we'll talk about your playing style a bit later on as well but uh yeah it sounds so consistent and so nicely wrapped in a bow really really tight the the trans yeah. you're playing so fast and the transition between notes there is is really really good um and we'll talk about a bit about distortion minute first off what is the base that you're using for that yeah so that's the base uh that's the that's the Yamaha. <laughs> yeah. yes, I mean, that is That's the bass. What bass do you play? Yes. <laughs> the, the true big brain bass player. <laughs> um, yeah, it's the Yamaha BB615, my absolute baby, the one I absolutely adore. Um, so I'm playing that. That's, um, is, um, so that does actually have a dark glass preamp in it, but that is set to flat um everything generally speaking the bass even though it's active i do have things set to flat a lot of the time um and they've got equal blends of the p and the j pickup i only really tend to tweak the active preamp it really kind of actually I generally actually have quite a flat eq i only yeah. ever really change it um not something it kind of depends on the amp the cabinet I'm using, and also the venue I'm playing in, and what sometimes what the sound guy is like. I only ever make little tweaks. Yeah, it does tend to be a very, very level sound. So that's what the Yamaha is putting out—a very level sound. Nice. So then, in from the bass, we've got that preamp on there. Is it doing much before we're getting into the amp or, or whatever amp sim that is that I can hear? Um, there isn't actually a amp sim on this, um, so I didn't. I was going to look. I can't really rig up my uh, the TC electronic I have because um, unfortunately it's downstairs. And again, as we're coming to it, personal circumstances setting that up would be a little tricky. And I don't have an amp sim, so that is actually a pure DI signal going straight into yeah. That is actually a straight DI what? signal going into Mixcraft. Yeah, there's no actual amp sim going I mean, on. Right. I mean, now you say it, it has got like that, that, that click when you, that's why when you said it was all flat, I was like, yeah, I can kind of tell that because it is quite pre present in the punch that it's got, not present from like a treble point of view, but uh, it, I suppose it does have those kind of DI elements to it, but I, mm. it definitely seemed a lot more coloured than that. I, that. You saw the shock on my face then. I, I, I didn't, <laughs> didn't realise that. Wow, that's, that's a pretty impressive, uh, just straight up DI sound. So have you got any 
distortion going on there as well. Yeah, so I have um, it's a little bit more. It's not just a simple straight chain. There's a little bit more going on there. Um, <laughs> it goes from it. The, yeah, so it goes from like me, me usual gubbins. I've got like me wireless relay machine. The first thing goes into the compressor. Then it goes into the uh, classic microtubes B7K dark glass. Um, yeah, the classic. Um, and again, that is generally speaking a very flat EQ. Everything is set to 12 o'clock, but I have got the grunt setting on because that adds so much more low end, but not monthly low end, just yeah. heavy. Is low this end, the um, like the version two with the cab sim on there, or is it this? The... No, this is the very uh, very basic B7K. I bought this in 2016, and I bought it secondhand. Um, so yeah, this was kind of like you know, kind of middle of the because this B seven K, remember that was around about 2011, 2012 It was released. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so it's kind of like it probably would be early because it was not that um, sophisticated. It's not the B seven K two or anything like the special versions oh, or the geez. ten year anniversary. It's just very very basic B seven K. After that though, it's um, it goes into a line selector. So it goes into a Boss LS2. That's what I've yeah. got too. Ah, fellow big brain. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, what I do with that then is I then do a send and return to a Zoo B3. And that on the B3 I've got <laughs> a man after my own heart. <laughs> yeah, so then I've got, um, in order, I've then got a... Um, it's pretty sure it's a clone, but I basically got a base drive, um, base, I think it's a base sends DI clone. Then I've got a very, very basic, just kind of stock um, analog chorus and then a delay. Um, chorus is a little bit more pronounced um, and the delay, the delay actually isn't really, you won't, it's very, very short um, decay on it. It doesn't, you don't hear it. Um, there's not a lot of repeats on it. It's actually just there to actually bulk out the sound, actually. It's kind of my way of kind of adding more layers to the track, adding more layers to the sound even mm. without, um, you know, just piling loads of distortion EQ in there. It's yeah. something I picked up from Advent Sorrow's bass. It's because Sorrow's using a delay pad, and I thought, that's a bit unusual. I thought this is kind yeah, of extreme not metal. It's not a big spacey, you know, you don't really have a big spacey sound yeah. Um, extreme metal, generally speaking. So, what's the delay doing there? But actually, it kind of you can actually use it to bulk out the sound a little bit and have a little bit of a sustain on there. Is that uh, engaged in that in that clip? Yeah, that's engaged. So you've got bass drive, chorus, and then a delay. So it's oh. delayed chorus, not chorus delay. Yeah. Actually, no. It's just it's. Cor no, hang on, is it chorus distorted? Hang on, it'll be chorus <laughs> distorted. That's then being delayed, if I've got that right. <laughs> My brain's feeling delayed. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then what happens is that then goes into, so you've kind of got an A-B mix on the line selector. So you've got your pure kind of, your, the dry mix, as it were, is basically all B7K. Mm. But then you've got a bit of B7K going into the zoom, which is then distorted even more, add a bit, add a bit more drive to it bit of tone shaping as well, then it goes into chorus, then it goes into delay. And that's to one kind of avoids tone sapping from the extra drive, the gain and the delay. Um, 
and also so with your kind of dry signal you still got that really big low end sound so it kind of gives you something a little bit more unique than you would just get in extreme air which is just you know lots of preamp or lots of gain i kind of get to have if you hear the, the high notes it's kind of a bit more of a pop to it it kind of explodes out a little bit more whereas the lower notes obviously they're just more throaty and heavy and growly the chorus and delaying the chorus doesn't really show up there as much it shows up a lot more on the high notes yeah and i i had a suspicion that there was some uh signal splitting going on here from the sound of it um i started to kid myself then when you told me it was like oh dear i uh no amp sims and stuff i was like oh maybe that's what i was hearing but no I, I was i was right so and you can tell that because it's a very consistent low end and you can hear mm. the normal clean tone and then you can tell that there's a split channel with the distorted layer almost sprinkled on top as opposed to mixing in with that main tone now some people might prefer the sound of like not doing that and they've got it all in that distorted sound, but actually mm. in a mix, especially in a live situation where you perhaps got a bit less control as to when you engage a drive pedal, you might drop out of the mix where it changes the way that it sounds so much. Um, yeah. Where the frequencies are being changed. And so doing that, and just what I've got on my board as well now, it's a little bit different in the way that I'm gonna, going to set up. It's kind of in a in the middle stage at the minute. But yeah, you're, you're not affecting that tone you're just adding on top of it and i, I yeah hear that, uh within that clip so yeah i would yeah. recommend to all bass players that you go and try it with something like the boss ls2 because it's so much fun uh to experiment with and if you're a big pedal guy it's very exciting yeah it's definitely i think as well for the live not so much um recording because obviously you can take it dry di um of course but for live of course if you try and you don't want to kind of sap out your toning. Obviously, you can get pedals that don't do that, but obviously, it's a much higher price range. Yeah. And obviously, that makes it very inaccessible and difficult. This is a very cheap and very, a very cost-effective solution because that is my approach. I like the cost-effective approach rather than just big bucks. I like, listen, not cheap. I you know if there's something important, something necessary, I'll get it. But I like cost-effective. For at one point, I nearly had a. 250 pound compressor sitting next to a 20 pound Sansan clone <laughs> on my board. I was like, well, maybe this isn't quite right. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I totally know what you mean. And interesting that you've got the B3, but essentially using it for effects and not like the, the amps that are uh, built. Yeah, into no, it. I'm only using it for um, the effects that may change in the future that's the di maybe there's a kind of a way i could use like a really disgust especially once i kind of you know go into the online suite maybe i can get a really disgusting sounding kind of um amp sim i could mm. put on there um and eventually there might even be more sounds i get because i have got i've got two bands and there's well that's the thing is if i use a very similar sound for both bands but i might make some very subtle changes and the good thing, obviously, digital effects is that you can swap between different profiles very quickly. So I've got my my dry signal is never going to change. That's always there. But my wet signal, I can always tweak that a little bit. You can I have a wet to. signal or you can have a soggy signal, depending on what band. To be fair, though, actually, it doesn't really change between both bands. I mean, the main um, difference, I would say, with a 
role near I was started looking at doing pick play and kind of while I'm doing fingers, just going to pick full time because it's such a more aggressive sound um, that I'm going for. Also, it's a one guitar band as well. Mm. Um, I could get away with a lot more distortion if I wanted to, and I could just do like a very simple chin if I wanted to, not worry about the low end so much in the live context because there's only one guitar. But I thought, no, I like having that low end, even in, you know, um that context I, I like having the low end come yeah. through I don't you, almost, just... you almost need that low end and then some you know for a single back as opposed to a sacrifice one especially in metal as well where it's like you know you matching up with the kick drum is so important the, the kick drum is one of your best friends with something like say rock for example you might not have to worry Again, especially with that kind of way a lot of bassists do rock nowadays, you're kind of breaking up the circle, doing your own thing, having yeah. a melodic colour yeah, you're, with... still, you're still following that kick drum uh, overall. You're not being yeah. so with a lot of metal, or if you're doing, you know, tight breakdowns and things like that, yeah. it's very much going to be syncopated with that kick pedal, isn't it? So it's quite yeah. different approaches, but ultimately yeah. the same goal. Yeah, it has. You have to have that tightness, and you need the low end for metal. You you have to have it. Mm. That's why I love compression essential. as well, though, because it gives you that nice consistent punch. Uh, mm. you kind of set it to how you want it, and, and compression can work in different ways. Which is, uh, yeah. Overall, mate, I love the sound of that bass, and uh, yeah, I can. I like I said, I could pick things apart about it uh, that that I could hear in my own ears and I, and I love being able to do that so uh thank you so much for yeah, sharing it with everybody and uh let us know in a comment down below if you're watching on youtube uh what you think and whether you're now going to buy an ls2 as well because i think you all should do it good now let's move on to our last segment <laughs> So the last segment of the show is normally a question that I just turn into the big base debate. But this time, the question itself has come from our guest, Christian, who is uh, wanting to talk about or brought to my attention, brought to my attention a topic that I'd not really considered or had any experience with before. But as you said, it is something that is important to talk about um to help people that uh, may be struggling with something such as this or to prevent actually some people in the future um having these issues because it's not even something that i had even thought about but i feel like after this discussion i'm definitely going to be more aware um about the things that i can do you know so um i'll kind of let you take the floor on this and avoiding and uh managing uh, injuries uh, with bass playing and, and being a musician. So yeah, take the floor, man. Yeah. So um, mainly, like I said, when I reached out to you, I said that I was going to kind of come forward with the, the main issue I've had is being carpal tunnel. Um, but then thinking about is actually there's another one I can also bring to the fore. And this was a purely bass induced injury, and that was back pain, specifically lower back pain, mm. which I could talk about as well. I can start with that if you'd like, because chronologically in my case um, that Yamaha said my Yamaha BB615 I love it so much and one thing I loved about it was how heavy it was I loved the heft of it and the feel um but I made a very um 
I did something very dumb. I spent many, many hours on sat on a bed, um, flat legged, so legs parallel, not crossed over, so no kind of like base sitting. I was kind of sat, you know, with the the hook of it on my right leg as a right handed player. I spent many hours hunched over that, sat on my bed playing bass, and a couple of days of that, I had horrendous back pain. Like not almost struggling to walk in place, even like had to sit down during rehearsals. Um, and it's the back's never really been right since. Um, so I kind of have to like give effectively really deal with lower back pain, uh, probably realistically for the rest of my life, managing it for the rest of my life because of that. It is something very manageable. I was given exercise, I've been seeing physiotherapies, had scans done, um, and it's something I can manage as long as I look after my back, do the usual lower back helps and lots of exercises, um, stretches, um, looking after my back, good posture. It's something I've been able to manage, but that was something that was purely a base um, induced injury was effectively bad posture, but affecting my back. Because if we think about it, what we're slinging around our necks and our backs are supporting a huge piece of wood and metal and your back does a hell of a lot of work supporting that whether you just sat down um playing it on you know sat down playing it playing on the sofa on your bed like i did or standing up there's your back is under a lot of strain and you have to be careful if something's not feeling right if your back's hurting you need to down tools and take a break think about what you're doing because otherwise one, I said, my, 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 my back pace is not as serious as probably most people, like some people's has been, but it is something I'm probably going to have to deal with. Yeah, like for the generally, rest of my life. A, lot, a lot of people that I uh, come into contact with online um, are normally, I'd say, within like 40s to 60s, you know, mm. age range who people that have been lugging around these big amps for a long time and have had these old heavy bases that over time has just kind of. Uh, and say worn them down you know like uh has, has had this effect uh, that you might not necessarily notice in the short term actually in the, and then in the long term when you're getting older that's when it really starts having yeah. impact. so i think a big thing is and like you say because heavy bases isn't necessarily always a bad thing because the quality of wood is there it's resonating mm. through the body it's it's not always uh, you know, when I pick up a heavy base, this I, old Ibanez I've got behind me is a heavy base because it's old, good quality stuff that it's made out of and the, all the components. Um, yeah. But you do need to take that into account of, right, actually, how is this going to affect me in the long term? So talking yeah. just about the back pain then, how how can people try and prevent this if yeah. they start to feel those pains? I would definitely say, um, so it'd be good if I kind of visually show on the, you know, because obviously it's, it's in, this is the uh, purely audible format. It's very hard for me to kind of show a few things that I started doing and I, I've been taught that can oh really help with prostate. I wish I could do that. Look but at the stretches say, he's doing. Oh God, everyone, you yeah. should see it. It's so flexible. <laughs> he's doing a handstand. Yeah. Oh my gosh. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would say definitely um what you should definitely definitely do if you've got any kind of concerns is speak to your doctor speak to a registered speak to a proper physiotherapist mm -hmm. um and get proper medical and professional advice don't leave it to chance don't leave it to quack remedies or treatments or anything like that definitely get professional advice on it 
Um, so I wish I could kind of show and demonstrate a few things. Um, but I suppose the main thing I would say is take care of your back because when you're playing bass, definitely, definitely do that because otherwise you could do yourself some permanent damage. Yeah, that is going to affect your daily life and not just your yeah. uh, your bass playing life. You know, even though arguably that is the only life that matters. Um, yeah, you, know, you you want to be able to preserve yourself basically and it's it's something that you you might think ah i'll be okay or i haven't noticed that but yeah optimism bias people it's very easy to think that's not going to happen to me or it'd be an afterthought but by the time it but it, it it could be too late by the time it happens it'll happen you'd be like oh no why didn't i think about that it'll become important when it's too late unfortunately so it's definitely don't fall victim to optimism bias yeah. um do pay attention to it and getting help yeah. is, you know, the the best advice I think you can give because there's a lot of, especially in the UK, a lot of people very stiff up a lip and like, no, I'll be fine. Mm. I just crack on. No, that's that's a very old fashioned way of, of thinking a lot of the time. And actually, you don't want to be living with those with those yeah. problems. You want to nip it in the bud and, exactly. and make sure that you're doing things with the best practices that are advised by professionals that actually know what they're talking about. Um, yeah. So yeah, great advice. Um, yeah. So I wonder if you can now start talking about the um, carpal tunnel. Yeah. So this has kind of been going on since kind of the middle of this year. It didn't actually start as carpal. It's not the only thing initially. I've initially developed in my right hand um, tendon sheath issues, like an inflammation here. It was caused by basically at the beginning of the year, I was rebuilt well basically destroying and rebuilding my house i was doing a lot of very intense um exercise hit training so handstand a lot of press-ups um i was playing bass um you know most evenings i and i was going to work i had a lot going on i was using my hands a lot and so that started initially as tendon sheath so i kind of the inflammation going on here um that's relatively manageable though that's something you know you go to a physiotherapist do your exercises you rest you support it you ice it it's very manageable but if you kind of get like i would say now as well if you get any kind of pain or issues in your wrist and your hands go see a doctor go see a physio don't let it get worse so that was that could have been very manageable then in my left hand i started in the tend in the tendon sheath at the base of my thumb I was getting pain, I was getting weakness, um, and that's something called tenosynovitis, which was the inflammation of my tendon sheath. Um, and I was managing that as well, it's physiotherapy, but I did something a bit dumb. I helped my girlfriend's folks, I helped them move this concrete tabletop. And the next day I was in A&E because the pain in my wrist wouldn't stop. I tried Volterol, ice splinting it because I was wearing you know, like thumb splints um, and eventually it did settle down and I was, I was, I kind of kept on doing things with it because with something like a tendon sheath issue like that, you can to an extent work through it. Um, but again, as I said, I'm not a medical professional here, you, you would need to speak to your doctor or professional, but you kind of have to exercise it like a muscle. You have to exercise it to um, keep it going. Not long after that, I then started getting the symptoms of carpal tunnel because uh, my physio sat me down and 
this is a test he did. He said, you're kind of starting to get the beginnings of this. And this is the thing, this wasn't actually a base-induced accident. This was kind of my personal life causing it. Um, but I kind of thought, okay, let's do take his advice. I'll do what I need to. One day after kind of like helping my sister out with her house, doing some building work, sat down and played bass. And I kind of started getting this tightness in my wrist and like tingling in my fingers. And I was like, right, what's going on? Did my research and everything pointed towards carpal tunnel. And this was in June around about my birthday, which was a uh, great birthday present to myself. And that was kind of like the bottom effectively dropped out of my world because unlike, say, um, the tinnitus synovitis, for example, where I could kind of, you know, I could still hold my base, I could still work through, that wasn't really essential with my fingers. It was, it was affecting, it was aggravating that area. Because what happens with carpal tunnel in this is office tendonitis and carpal tunnel are quite common for musicians because of the repetitive nature of yeah, what we do. Draining disorder. Yeah, so there's a nerve that runs along what's called the carpal tunnel in your wrist, and the median nerve controls the thumb and your index and middle finger. If there's a swelling in the wrist, that can compress the nerve, and that causes weakness, pain, tingling, um, even sometimes a, becoming a sensate, so the tips of your fingers will, you won't actually be able to feel them. You'll lose all feeling. Thankfully, I never got to that point. The most I had was tingling and flare ups, so pain in my kind of wrist area. But uh, I remember it was about two months after this happened, I tried to play in the first gig because I thought, okay, right, if I keep my wrist, because what, what, what happens with carpal tunnel is that our wrist is bent so towards us or away from us and because there's not a lot of room in the carpal tunnel area when your tendons start moving and all the tissue start moving it can start you can compress the median nerve very easily if you've got your hand bent um and this often can be sometimes we do with bass or guitar we have a very bent wrist almost 90 degrees sometimes either way mm. it compresses everything in the carpal tunnel your tendons or your tissues get inflamed and that inflammation compresses the nerve. So I originally, I stopped playing bass though as soon as I felt the symptoms of it because rest was the best option and I was doing everything. I was using gels, painkillers, ice, and but that's the thing I had to stop. I stopped playing bass. One, because I didn't want to aggravate it and I wanted to rest and two, it was, I was basically terrified. I thought, what if I pick it up and it's going to be paid? What if it, it was, you know, the, I thought I actually picking my bow was actually terrifying for about a month or so. Horrible. And it, it was genuinely, it's one of the most horrible things I've ever been through. It's, it's not the worst medical condition one could ever experience. Of course, you know, you can recover from it. You can be treated. It can be managed. Um, but, what matters is what we go through. What matters is how we feel about something, not what we go through. And, you know, as musicians, you know, this is our life. This is what we're passionate about. It defines us. Yeah. Um, for me especially as well, it, it absolutely defines me. Huge fear for all of us, isn't it? Like if we, if something happened and you're to lose something 
to do with your hands that's yeah accessing that enjoyment and often release of stress you know your 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 mechanism sometimes um that music and and bass playing can can be so it was almost like an attack on like who it was like it it just destroyed who i was in some ways um it yeah it was um one of the worst things i have been through i did start to um get better after having a steroid injection because there's two treatments one is um a steroid injection into the area and another is the surgery um so the the carbotone release surgery which is obviously quite common because a lot of people um it is i want to say relatively common not everyone's getting it done but you know it is one that comes up it's known about you know if you say carbotone most people are going to have heard of that aren't they yeah um so i had a steroid injection and that made a big improvement. Um, so I was able to play gigs. I was able to rehearse, play gigs. I still didn't practice though. And that has been one of the hardest things is that I can't just come home, pick up my bass, write something, noodle around, work on something, um, do lessons with my tutor online. It was, it was awful. Even though the fact I could still play gigs, I could still do that. There was this just constant, pit of fear and worry of like you know like a part of my soul was missing the fact that you know i just couldn't also just go home pick up bass freely without any worry and just make music yeah play music that's a barrier yeah um so initially i was kind of doing i was doing pretty well with my left hand splinting it i could play gigs so the treatment was working the rest was working and i say the injection took away maybe about 70 percent of my symptoms but unfortunately, more recently, about a month ago, I started getting symptoms in my right hand. And I think the reason for that being is I've compensated for my left hand because I've, my right hand, you know, changing my lifestyle, I've had to compensate for the left hand with the right hand. Um, so I'm kind of went in a way back to square wrong, but doubly worse. Um, and again, my symptoms are relatively mild. There's a good chance I can hopefully actually avoid surgery um and i think for me like you said you know musicians anything that the great fear of anything happening to our hands but i think anything happening to our hands as well like any kind of procedure or operation i think that would safe to say it makes us all cringe Mm. it it would be terrifying because of the what ifs absolutely and then that's completely out out of pun not intended out of your hands then isn't it yeah exactly um Um, so at the moment my the the culmination of this has been um i've had to basically down tools now i'd speak to my consultant and speaking with my bands it was i was terrified of telling them that sorry lads this is it i can't do this anymore i need to get better Mm. basically effectively downing tools for six months um so no gigs no practicing no rehearsals and also just in terms of my rest of my lifestyle no gaming i'm a woodworker none of that as well no diy i've kind of stopped any any intricate use of my hands just because i want to get this finally recover from this i want it polished off so i can get not just my life my musical life back but the rest of my life in general but especially my musical life um and so 
obviously the reason I'm sharing this, of course, is not not for me, just not so much woe is me. Um, I can do it in plenty of different forms, but um, but obviously, in fact, you know, being able to share this with musicians has been fantastic. Those who've had issues themselves, those who've actually gone through it. Um, also, people just supporting me, being my bandmates as well, they have been phenomenal um, in supporting me for it in both bands. Um, and absolutely fine. And there's so many of the musicians and people I've spoken to have been very, very helpful for that and help help me and support me through it. Um, but yeah, the reason you know, and I want to come and share this is I want to tell people that look after your hands very, very simply, whether it's what, what you're doing musically, so the way you're playing, your posture, your technique, how much you're playing, the way you're playing, and your lifestyle as well look after your hands because if you have your music limited or taken away from you it is genuinely one of the worst things for me personally it has been one of the worst things i've ever been through i know with people like ourselves that are passionate we are about what we do it is one of the most devastating things you, you, you probably will go through and i don't want anyone else to end up going through what i have been and what I will go through as well before I recover. Yeah, it's it's you know it's a uh, with these disorders the the things you enjoy uh, is makes it worse, you know, and that is a, a horrible and a hard pill to swallow. That yeah, you, that the things you want to do uh, are what is making it worse essentially. And yeah, I I cannot say this enough you know i this 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 sucks and i'm really sorry that uh that you have to, to go through all of this um and thank you so much for coming on here as so any kind of some kind of platform uh to to share this because people need to hear this type of thing because it's the other side isn't it you know we talk yeah. about all the fun all the gear all the things we love but how to protect that and we can only do that through learning through other people so thank you yeah um no, it's absolutely it's an absolute pleasure if this even just helps you know just if, if you know one person it stops one person capping to that that's absolutely worth it um absolutely. you know again it's just, um, yeah I, I will say it again look after your hands and, and look after yourselves as well of course because there's other things that can happen that could limit you but yeah as musicians look after your hands i can't yeah. say it enough Obviously, the, the best bit of advice I suppose we can give from this is to get things treated early. As soon as you mm. think something might be up, don't put it off. Go and get it checked out. If it can be diagnosed sooner, there's more that you can do about it. And you don't want to pedal yourself so far that you cannot pedal back or that yeah. you, you begin limiting yourself, you know. you And even if it takes that six months of not playing or scaling things back, in the long run, my God, you'll you'll thank yourself. You yeah, know, because you don't want to um, think, be naive, and think, ah, I'll be I'll be fine. It's, it's yeah, a bit of or it'll I'll happen to other. Them. It only happens to other people. Yeah, um, and I think it's well, like, you know, you should never be, you should never hurt to do anything that you're doing. If something in your technique or you're playing hurts, it isn't right, or you're straining yourself think always think come back to yourself think um I actually picked this up from a vocalist actually from 
extreme metal though cause you know for example there's obviously a big risk of causing damage there that's um and comparison i was thinking about the whole yeah thing. so you should never hurt yourself to play an instrument um or do what you love doing it should, should not hurt so if something hurts in your playing or you're doing something in your life that hurts when you play get that checked out and yeah it's and don't try and work through the pain don't try and be tough don't try and be macho something's the, these things these hands they are delicate um they might not feel like it especially if nothing's ever has happened but something could go wrong or you could do something wrong a lot of times and build up a lot of damage and especially something like say carpal tunnel where it's a nerve issue it's so hard once you pedal it forwards it's so much harder to pedal it back so so much harder to pedal it back mm. and pedal it forwards they, they say that with lots of like manual handling training going back to like the back as well it's a hard it's an easy thing to prevent but a hard thing to treat once you're mm. once you've got to that exactly. stage to get back to where it was is is a difficult one so make sure you are Bending those knees when you're lifting your Ampeg SVT 810s uh, and you are taking it easy on the old digits because you won't know what you've lost until you've lost it. Exactly. Um, to quote Cinderella uh, from that fantastic album, Winter, really good album. <laughs> exactly. And that seems like a beautiful bow to put on uh, to put on this tale. Unless, was there anything else you wanted to, to, to add to that one? Um, no, I think we've covered everything and I think you've elaborated on that fantastically as well. I think that's uh, summed it up brilliantly. Amazing. Cool. Well, we will end our podcast there then. Christian, thank you so much for reaching out and for, for doing this with me. It's been a fantastic episode and uh, I hope people at home uh, have enjoyed it as well. Um, no, it's been brilliant. I've absolute pleasure doing it. Of course, mate. Anytime. If you guys want to reach out to myself or to Christian, um, get in touch with me on Instagram at Johnny Dibble. Uh, if you're watching, listening, should I say, to this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like the video. Let me know that we're doing a good job on here because <laughs> I don't know if the numbers aren't there. I don't know. So leave a comment down below. All that jazz, you know what to do. Um, also, if you're listening anywhere where you can leave a review, please do so. It helps with algorithms and things like that algorithms that's that's a really deep part of music theory that people don't know about christian reminds the people at home where they can find you and your bands yeah so you can find um both bands volney and as1 you can find us both on instagram um and facebook you can find myself um on instagram so skogan underscore bassist skogan's the stage name if you're wondering um Skogen spelled S-K-O-G-E-N underscore and hopefully you know how to spell bassist otherwise you probably <laughs> yeah um, I, I hope everyone here would I hope people listening to this podcast will know how to spell bassist um don't find me on Facebook it's a dumpster fire um it's all memes it's all trash so just find me on Instagram um and hit me up if you want to I'm always love always love to hear from people Absolutely. That's one thing I've learned from doing this online thing is that people are, are the best. You know, they can be the worst, but mostly they're the best and they're great and they love yeah, exactly. having a good time, especially our space players, right? Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. I'll see you next time.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.